0: I used to have two pets, a Boston Terrier named Harold and a tabby cat named Maud, who were 12 years apart. <laughs>
1: so this
0: is how much I love this movie, I named my pet after them.
1: That's awesome.
2: Welcome to the StoryGrid Editor Roundtable Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better writer, following the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne, an editor with over 25 years' experience. My name is Anne Hawley, and I'll be moderating the roundtable today. And here with me are four of my fellow certified StoryGrid editors, Jari Bolander, Valerie Francis, Leslie Watts, and Kim Kessler. If you're interested in hiring a certified StoryGrid editor or would like to find out more about what we do, visit storygrid.com editing. And if you want to connect with one of us directly, you can find links to our websites in the show notes. Each week, one of us proposes a favorite movie that they think is a great example of a key story principle. That editor has to make the case for their position with the help of a partner, while two of us try to pick the argument apart. This week, Jari pitched Harold and Maude as a great example of an innovation on the love story. This 1971 cult favorite film was directed by Hal Ashby from a screenplay by Colin Higgins. Jari will be ably assisted on the A-team by Leslie, and Kim and Valerie will make up the B-team. Their job is to question whether the story principle of innovation on a love story is really well served by the movie. They'll give some counterexamples and discuss just how far accepted story principles can be bent before the story breaks. Lots and lots of writers have this question, and as you probably know, here at the Story Grid, we tend to argue in favor of established story form, although we're very interested in how far you can push it. Jerry will start us off with the genre and a quick one sentence summary each of the beginning hook, middle build, and ending payoff to get everyone oriented to the story.
0: Thanks, Anne. So, wanted to start off with the genre, both the external and the internal. For me, the external is uh, love courtship, and the internal one I actually changed my mind on after reading the excellent analysis from Valerie and Kim. I originally had a worldview maturation, but after reviewing it and looking at it in more detail, really, it's a worldview education, and we'll talk more about that as we get into the weeds of all of this, which is why I love doing this podcast so much. So uh, when it comes to the controlling idea, we need to be our true selves no matter how odd that might be or risk living a life that does not complete us. This is best summed up during a scene when Harold and Maud are going to the hospital. When Harold says, I love you to Maud, and Maud says, oh, Harold, that's just so wonderful. Go and love some more. And this is a really powerful point of what this story is about. And so when we get to the beginning hook, that's in, when an overbearing mother meddles and controls Harold, her son's life. Harold lashes out by faking suicides to undermine his mother's constantly trying to live his life for him. In the middle build, this is when Harold meets Maud. He can't believe that he's found a kindred spirit, someone who lives life fully on her own terms, and their adventures for him are epic. And on the ending payoff, on her 80th birthday, Maud takes poison because living to 80 is just enough for her. Harold tries in vain to save her, but it's too late. She dies, and Harold learns the meaning of love and loss, and now he is free to actually start to experience his life.
2: Thanks, Jory. That's a good summary of what turned out to be a very charming movie. And before we get going, I just want to say I was really reluctant to watch this movie. I had never seen it before. I knew what the premise was. I was very uncomfortable with it. a uh, 18-year-old guy and an 80-year-old woman it was pretty hard for me to face, but it was Utterly charming, a totally enjoyable movie, and so I just wanted to get my. Since I'm the moderator today, I just Aww. wanted to get my my sense of I enjoyed it.
0: Oh, it just warms it my heart. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, Jari, let's let's hear your case for how Harold and Maude innovates on the love story.
0: Okay, uh, let me see if I can follow that wonderful uh, kudos, Anne. Out of all the genres that we talk about in the StoryGrid universe and in the universe of story, the love story is the most popular. And one of the reasons the love story is so powerful is it just grabs at us. I mean, we all at some point in our lives will have love and loss of love and have all of this turmoil around this really strong emotion of love. And I think these stories resonate with us because we're either want to find love or improve the love that we have. And we all want to end up happily ever after. But the thing that I think is really important about any kind of genre and any kind of story is you got to keep the reader entertained and how you entertain and keep the reader interested is by innovation. And I think the love story is probably one of the most challenging, at least in my opinion, to innovate on because there's just so much out there. It's the most popular. Therefore, there's going to be lots and lots of authors trying to write every kind of love story. The parallel you see is in the action genre, how much more blowing up and explosions can there be? So what they do is they throw in a love story subplot or some mix to kind of give not only a more innovative way through the action, but it's like a waypoint. It, it sort of breaks up the action. And with love stories, it's the innovation that you always have to think about. I mean, we I know we all talk about, well, there's obligatory scenes and conventions and people who think oh well this is just a formula or whatever that's the wrong kind of attitude to have you have to have for a love story to be a love story there's obviously has to be certain things in it or it's not a love story but those are not a formula those are a framework you know you want to have different sets and settings and you want to have lots of different things that give the reader a way to be surprised and Harold and Maude does that, not only with the internal genre and how the internal genre feeds into the love story, but it's how all of these love story conventions and obligatory scenes are set up and paid off. And I have listed a lot of them in the show notes. I'm not going to go through all of them because there's a bunch. But what I wanted to go over is the main thrust of it, which is the protagonist's the 18 to 20 year old Harold and his love interest the 79 turning 80 year old Maud which flips that convention of the woman and the man in a love story on its head. Now there's others that have done this. You see a little bit of it in The Graduate which is Mrs. Robinson and Benjamin, but that's sort of not the main thrust of it. The two main protagonists in this case Have this difference in age and different generations, but they're teaching themselves how to love, and in one case, for Harold, how to be someone that can accept love in his own life. So, I think probably one of the most innovative parts of the love story is where they meet. Real quickly, I'll I'll go through what the conventions and obligatory scenes are. I won't go through all of them in Harold and Maude, but just so you get the sense. The convention of the love story there has to be a triangle there has to be helpers and harmers there has to be a gender divide there has to be external need there has to be opposing forces there has to be these secrets secrets from society and the couple and from themselves there's rituals and then there's you know there's a moral weight to it and in the obligatory scenes it has to, a lot to do with where do the lovers meet the first kiss or intimate connection confessions of love the lovers breaking up, the proof of love, and the lovers reuniting. The innovation comes not only in Maud being 79 and Harold being 20, but in how they come together. When Harold and Maud first meet, they meet at a funeral. Well, okay, that's done before. But I think the innovative part is they don't know the person that's died. This is their hobby. They go to funerals and find each other. That then ripples through in the other things that they have quirks about. There is also uh, the whole intimate connections and and how that all works out. Because it's a very, it's not overly sexualized. It's done in a subtle way where you know what's going on, yet it's not grotesque.
2: They made very good use of fireworks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And then again, that's part of the the innovation of this. It's the subtlety, it's what's not put on the screen, but is implied. And you know, the confession of, of love when Harold makes Maud a, a little disc that says Harold loves Maud, and Maud's like, Well, Maud loves Harold and takes the ring and throws it in the ocean. Now I know where it is. So the, the quirkiness of the interaction is really a great way to innovate in the love story. Each part of the innovation builds on the other one. So the contrast of the age difference, the contrast of what Harold's social life is and his relationship with his mother and the psychologist that's always sort of trying to figure out why he's faking suicides and why he wants to marry Maude all add not only to the quirkiness, but also to the interesting, innovative way in which to tell a love story. And it's refreshing, even though it's 1971. I mean, it's as old as I am. I think it still holds up.
2: I agree that it felt remarkably fresh for a movie from that era, uh, with the exception of some of the clothes. It moved along. The editing felt very up to date. It was a really interesting example of, you know, something that's Getting on in years that still felt really fresh, kind of like the main female character.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And she's such a great actress. Anyway, I love her.
2: So Leslie, let's hear your side of this A-team argument for innovation on the love story.
3: Thanks, Anne. I took a look at the nature of innovation, which is zigging in a satisfying way when the audience expects the story to zag. Often in May-December romances or friendship stories, the gender roles are reversed. We'll have an older or more experienced man with a younger, less experienced woman. So we do have some innovation that's kind of staring us in the face. That's something we don't necessarily expect. So one major engine of innovation is irony, and there are a lot of really interesting examples in the story. For example, Maude, as a 79-year-old, is way more alive, way more inhabiting her life than Harold is as a young man who has his whole life in front of him. And you can compare also Harold's fake suicide attempts that are used to get his mother's attention versus Maud's authentic choice to end her life. There are some great comparisons and allusions to Romeo and Juliet as well, but in this case, they don't go down together. Maud helps Harold commit to his own life. There are also some other interesting comparisons in the story where we have the total control imposed by Harold's mother at home versus how out of control Maude seems. We can also look at their two home environments and their attachment to things versus people. There are lots of differences in their mode of speech and dress. Where Maud seems to act more like a young person and Harold acts more like an older person wearing suits and speaking very formally all the time. Now, what's interesting is that I also found some weird parallels to Fight Club. Obviously, Fight Club came later, but it was interesting to me the way Harold and Maud meet and the way, you know, they're showing up at an event where other people are expressing a lot of emotion and they're not connected in any way to that emotion, which is similar to how in Fight Club, the narrator and Marla meet up at groups where people are expressing a lot of emotion. Also, I think this movie shows the way that the culture at that time, as an expression of this story, is out of touch with life and lacking substance. So those are some interesting examples of irony and one little fun fact comparison. But how do you innovate a story of any genre? What, where do you start? For me, the basic steps are first to deconstruct and discover the necessary elements. What is the nature of the characters? What do they want? You can look at their age, gender, class, position in the power structure, their competence, level of experience in a particular arena. There are lots of other examples of that. Those are just some off the top of my head. You want to look at the setting and historical context. This might include the terrain, social constructs, technology, the background of social conflict happening within the context of the story, and the means available
2: to the characters to
3: resolve the conflicts in their lives. When you say the
2: means available to the characters um, for resolving conflict— Give us a little more about that.
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's clear to me, but may not be clear to everyone. What we're really talking about, in fact, it's something that you mentioned, I believe, last week, in that if there's a bad home situation, sometimes characters have the option to leave, but sometimes they don't. You know, sometimes a person has access to means, you know, financial and other resources. Sometimes the character doesn't. MacGyver, right, doesn't always have access to lots of sophisticated tools. Sometimes it's chewing gum and paper clips nice. and duct tape. <laughs>
2: and duct tape.
3: Um, so it's kind of what's available within the environment to help the character resolve the conflict. Gotcha. Thank you. You also want to look at the nature of the conflict, the nature of the force of antagonism and the source. And look at the style and tone of the story. How is it being presented? What are the lenses through which the writer wants us to see the story events? And of course, the point of view, narrative device, and narrative structure are all things that you want to look at. Okay, so the second step is to look at all of these elements from different vantage points. And you can use metaphor to do that. You can... Uh, look at the situation through the eyes of a different character. It's really good of course to look through the eyes of the antagonist and just to see the elements differently. And then you can kind of reconstruct them. And in that process of looking at the elements that's step two and reconstructing that's step three, you want to ask a lot, what if I did it this way? What if? The couple is a 79-year-old woman and a young person who's just reached adulthood. What would that look like? What could I explore through that? And you might also look at, well, here's the message I want to send with my story. Who are the best people to represent that and express that, the conflict and resolution? So It's really important to study stories both within and outside your genre choice because you'll make different connections by watching and reading stories that are a little different. And as you study those stories, you want to identify the way that readers innovate within them. What choices do they make that are typical? What choices are atypical? And how does the story make you feel at different key points along the way? The point of studying masterworks, of course, is to not only get an idea for the story and pull out the natural elements, but to study the mind of the writer and see how you react to that, and then use that as a springboard for innovating your own stories.
2: I think one of the interesting things about this movie is it's pretty obvious that it began with the premise, what if, you know, an 18, 19-year-old boy fell in love with a, a very elderly woman? I mean, that seems like that was their starting point. But if you innovate based on, like Jari was saying, about how they met at a funeral, I think somewhere in Robert McKee, he talks about Okay, you want to start a love story, where do they meet? Oh, they meet at a club. Oh, come on, do better than that. Go okay, okay, where else could they meet? They could meet, you know, at a garage sale. They could meet at a and then you get all the way to funeral and oh wow, that's interesting. And when you get there, it's not just like oh, that would be cool and quirky. Suddenly a whole new story starts to arise out of that choice, and it innovates everything, not just a moment in the story. And I think that's a, they've, they've done, for one thing, they did a really great job of that in this movie. But for all writers, it's important to think about when you decide you're going to innovate a particular element, bear in mind that that innovation will change the other elements if you're going to be true to the innovation itself. Great analysis, both of you. Thank you. Um, As I said, I wasn't real enthusiastic about watching this movie, but I ended up enjoying it very much. And I wasn't sure that I'd seen a love story so much as a worldview story, and we all agree that worldview was strong here. But you guys have convinced me that it has met most of the conventions of a love story in innovative ways. So let's turn to the B team for The Counterpoint. Valerie.
4: Thanks, Anne. I want to start by pointing out that a story like Harold and Maude is where the story grid methodology really shines this is a quirky film and you're either going to love it or hate it. People who write stories like this can sometimes have a hard time working with editors who approach their editing in a subjective way because writers are told to try this or try that in the hopes of making the story better. So the editing approach, and I don't mean to sound critical because I've been the writer on the receiving end of this kind of editing, uh, which is what, inspired me to become a StoryGrid editor in the first place, to be honest, but the, the editing advice can kind of be like throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. But StoryGrid provides us with an objective look at story, so it really doesn't matter whether the editor gets the story or not. Personal preference is irrelevant. So I'll be honest, Harold and Maud isn't my cup of tea. Uh, I don't think I laughed once. Kim, however, thought it was hilarious And when we met to talk about our notes, she just kept laughing through the whole thing. And I was like, okay, okay. I don't get it, but okay. (laughs) Yet, when we analyzed the movie, we both drew the same conclusions and came up with the same feedback, which I think is fascinating. And this is what we came up with. Harold and Maude, in our opinion, does not set the standard for innovative love story, primarily because it isn't a love story. The global story here is worldview education, with a love story as a secondary genre. So I'm going to let Kim in a few minutes talk about why it's an education story, but I'll start off by talking about the love story part of it. Harold finds meaning through his relationship with Maud. Their love story feeds the global story, but it doesn't work, in my opinion, very well in and of itself. Jari has outlined obligatory scenes and conventions, but to be honest, I disagree with his interpretation of most of them. And I've got details in the show notes, but here's the highlights. The only convention that the film fully explores is its moral weight. This relates to the internal content genre that accompanies the love story external content genre. And the whole idea is that if the lovers can't elevate themselves on some level, morally or emotionally or psychologically, they won't be able to find authentic love. So, for example, in Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth Bennet matures. She elevates herself along the worldview maturation spectrum of value. In Harold and Maud, Harold elevates himself along the worldview education spectrum of value. He finds meaning. With respect to the obligatory scenes, uh, having the lovers meet at the funeral... Is certainly different. Absolutely. And I thought that Harold's confession of love, when he gives Maud that button that Jari was talking about earlier, I thought that was really well done. It's authentic and it feels perfectly natural for the character. That's totally what a guy of 18 or 19 or 20 years old would have done. There isn't a lovers reunite scene, but that's not a problem since the story ends negatively, which means there wouldn't be a lovers reunite scene anyway. So that's fine. The key for me though is that there's no proof of love scene. And I think that's where this film really fails as a love story. This is the core event for the love story genre, and it must be present. It comes close to delivering a proof of love scene when Harold tells his mother that he's getting married, but then it pulls its punch. In the proof of love scene, at least one of the lovers has to sacrifice something without any hope that the sacrifice will do them any good to win the love of their intended. Again, using Pride and Prejudice as an example because I just love it and I'll use any excuse to talk about Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> um, Mr. Darcy sacrifices money and his social standing to help the Bennett girls without any hope that Elizabeth will change her opinion of him. By contrast, Harold has nothing to lose by marrying Maud. Yes, his mother is shocked, but he can't lose her approval because he never had it in the first place. And this is why, in my opinion, he continues to fake his suicides, it, it's an attention-getting device, and he just doesn't get his mother's attention. Yes, there's a series of expository shots of his uncle, the psychiatrist, and the priest disapproving of the union. However, Harold doesn't care what any of them think either, and he never has. So, their disapproval is meaningless. Finally, there's no indication that Harold would lose his financial or social status if he married Maud. To innovate means to present known information in a fresh, new way. It's a new look at old material. And I think that Harold and Maude fall short of this, Mark. While there is a significant age difference between the characters, as we said, he's 18 and she's 79, The Graduate was released five years earlier and, in my opinion, uses the age gap to much greater effect. Now, granted, it's not as great an age gap, but given that Harold and Maude is a Black comedy, you would expect the exaggeration there. That's sort of what black comedies do. Having the lovers break up because one of them committed suicide has also been done before in Romeo and Juliet. And as such is now cliche. Yes, Maud does help Harold understand that life has meaning, as Leslie says. And Kim will talk about more about that in a minute. In more recent years, Brokeback Mountain beautifully innovated the genre by using two lovers of the same sex. So if a client came to me looking for examples of love stories that innovated the genre, I'd point them to The Graduate or Brokeback Mountain. That's not to say that Harold and Maude isn't innovative, but for more on that now, I'll hand it over to Kim.
1: Okay, so a couple things up front. I'd never seen this film before either, like Anne. I I wasn't familiar with the premise, really. And so I was able to watch it with my uh, open, observant, you know, just enjoy the story kind of mind. And I absolutely loved it. Like this is one of my top favorite stories I've ever seen and experienced, kind of loved it. So I just have to say thank you to Jari for picking it because I don't know when or if I would have seen it otherwise. And I've, I've watched it twice and it's one that I'm not just gonna rent, I'm gonna buy because I just love it so much. So all that to say, I agree that Harold and Maude is completely innovative for all the reasons that Jari and Leslie mentioned earlier, but I don't see it as a love story for the reasons that Valerie had mentioned. And it's even though Harold loves Maude and Maude loves Harold, it's still not what I would say is a global love story or even an example of if you're going to write a love story, exactly how to do it. So then what is it? And, And as we've said, Harold and Maude is what I would say a masterful example of worldview education. I think the clearest that I've seen for myself personally, I'm obsessed with global internal genres and this one was really clear to me and I feel like even helped me understand what an education story is all about in a new way. So worldview education stories are stories about a protagonist who finds meaning and significance in their life, either for the first time, you know, maybe they were naive before and now they're finding meaning for the first time, or maybe they've lost their sense of meaning. Maybe they've been disillusioned before, which I believe is the case with Harold based on his memory of his mother. And so in order to find our internal genre, we point to Friedman's framework that Leslie and I really were able to uncover and dissect when we did the internal genres series of blog posts. And so in that, you identify the protagonist. So what's the character that changes the most, that the audience cares about the most? We want to look at that protagonist at the beginning of the story, really assess their moral character, their mode of thought, and their level of fortune or, or status. And then we're going to look at the character at the end of the story, and we want to assess these same things. And then we want to go, which one changed? And maybe just one, but maybe all of them have changed, and in varying different degrees. So we want to look for which one had the most significant change. Which one of those changes is what the Stories really about. And this is that this is really our clue to a big clue to the internal genre. And also consider how the audience feels because different genre patterns are, you know, they're meant to do something they they have meaning, because they leave us with a sense of purpose, or you know, why we watched it, what it's for how it helps us as humanity. So kind of considering how you feel um, as an audience, when you're done with the story can also be be a clue. So in Harold and Maude, you know clearly Harold's our protagonist. He's who the story is about and who changes the most. So if we look at Harold at the beginning of the story and then at the end, then we can kind of see how he changed. So one interesting tool that you can use for this is to compare and contrast the exact opening and closing images and moments. How are they similar or different? You know, how are they similar and different? How do those similarities and differences demonstrate this change? and, And what does that change signify? So. At the beginning of the story, Harold is walking to his death with rigid and deliberate steps down these rich wooden stairs in his mother's mansion home. He doesn't want to be alive, but he doesn't really want to die either. He's stuck in this limbo of nothingness. His mother doesn't see him or try to understand him. He's alone and living in a meaningless existence of insignificance. Now, At the end, in the final image, after his whirlwind week with Maude, um, the final image is Harold with a dance in his step. He's plucking out a tune on a banjo, and he's on top of this grassy green cliff. And these are things that Maude taught him to do, to dance and to play. And I think in the very first scene where they really meet and talk to each other, she asks him, do you sing? Do you dance? And he he says, no. And she says, I thought not. And then that is something that she really teaches him to do. So at the end, he's really um, in this place of embracing life. And even though he's just lost his greatest love and he purposely crashed his car, he's able to walk away with the spring in his step. So these opening and closings are in every way an opposite. Um, we get to see that 180-degree flip, um, and it shows someone you know, wanting to die at the beginning versus someone deciding to live at the end. So this, this technique of opening and closing images can be used for stories of any medium, though certainly it lends itself easily to visual ones such as films or comics or graphic novels, but it's something worth thinking about and being intentional about in your writing and your short stories or novels of any kind. There are these subtleties that really bring um, your literary work to life, and they can solidify those genre patterns to your audience using subtext, which is extremely powerful. So we can check our work here with our cause and effect statement for worldview education. So the standard is there's a sympathetic protagonist who's got naive or cynical outlook, experiences an opportunity or challenge that enlightens them to a broader understanding, and from there, they find new meaning in their existing actions. So for Harold and Maud, when Harold, a young man with no friends who stages suicides and attends funerals for fun, meets 79-year-old larger-than-life Maud, who helps him understand for the first time what it truly means to live. He embraces living this newly found authentic way even after Maud's life ends. And so there'll be some more things in the show notes. Um, I'll go through the life values in the beginning, hook, middle, build, ending payoff that you can look at and the conventions and obligatory scenes of worldview education. So those are all going to be in there. I did want to point out something about the convention, which I think is part of what makes the story really innovative. So, One of the conventions of a worldview story is that you need a strong mentor. And in this case, we have Maude. Maude is the mentor to Harold. She's a 79-year-old woman who becomes a young protagonist's lover, which is indeed, as we've said, very innovative. But what I thought was also very innovative is that we may have seen mentors become the shapeshifter or the hypocrite. And so here, I believe we have the other convention, a shapeshifter as a hypocrite. It also is met by Maude. But she teaches Harold to live every day to the fullest, but also she elects to die on her 80th birthday. But what's interesting to me is that she is the shapeshifter hypocrite, but she never actually lied to him. Like she never told him anything different. And, you know, she said, oh, it'll all be over on Saturday. You know, might as well go out with the horizon. She has all these phrases that once you realize what's going to happen, you can see them in a new context, which, of course, he didn't know that. But she wasn't specifically trying to lie to him. She was just living her life. And this feels like in contrast to Harold's mother. So specifically in his memory that he tells Maud about the chemistry lab explosion, you know, they thought that he was dead and he just had come home and went up to his room while his mother was throwing a party. And so then the police had shown up to his home to tell his mother that he had died in the explosion. And when she gets this news, he sees her do this dramatic faint into their arms at the news of his death. And this fake reaction by her is what triggered Harold's obsession with death. She also gives inconsistent accounts about Harold depending on the situation. Either he's a fussy child who's always getting sick or he was such a wonderful and happy baby. And so he's used to her being a hypocrite and he can't take anything she says seriously. So, of course, he takes Maud at face value and just believes, well, she's this person living this life so vibrantly. Um, she must want to live forever. But she doesn't. And so I think that that is why Jari, why it would resonate as a maturation story. Because there is that loss that he goes through, which is making him have to see the world in a new way. But in the end, it, it really is of uh, the thing that changes the most. It feels like he goes from meaninglessness to meaning. But that isn't to say that there isn't some naivete to sophistication happening. Okay. So all of that to say... This story feels like a true masterwork for me on, on so many levels, global worldview education, you know, being the foremost. But I also feel like it's this excellent case study for dialogue and characterization. Each character has a very distinct voice. And as Leslie said, there's very distinct, you know, modes of being and modes of dress. And even though the characters are being portrayed by actors in this film, uh, these are things that would have come through in the written story and script first. So this would be, I think, something really interesting to to practice. You know, how can you make your characters as distinct in your novels as they would show up in a film by an actor? Another exercise that I'm tempted to do uh, with this story would be to write the same scene from a different character's point of view. Because here we've got everybody's kind of in their own world and especially at home, you know, Harold's mother is oblivious. So it'd be interesting to write a scene with them, you know, say the one where she's filling out the computer dating survey and and Harold is uh, loading a gun and she doesn't notice or care. So to write that scene from each person's point of view and to point out um, the things that they would notice and care about what they would perceive and interpret, um, those would be completely distinct from one another. And, one thing that would stay the same in either version of the scene would be the dialogue and I also think that's fascinating so seeing how the thoughts of a character you know behind the words that they say or for Harold you know the things that he doesn't say which is also interesting to think about what is it that a character is not saying and, and what does that mean and then whether we are in that character's point of view or not you know the things that they're thinking so these all of these things got brought up for me um, by watching Harold and Maude and since I am obsessed with global internal genres and they are what I want to write, studying stuff in that deep level of point of view and character is really, really important. So I think this is an excellent example of, of a way to think about that. So I highly encourage you to go check out this film um, and watch it and enjoy it. And like I said, I laughed so hard and I was watching it on my phone with my headphones on in bed while my husband was asleep and I was trying not to be too loud or like shake while I was laughing, but it was hilarious to me. And I realized that apparently I like dark comedy, so or black comedy. And so now, now I know. <laughs> so anyway, thank you again, Jari, for, for uh, suggesting it
2: for us. I agree. I laughed out loud many times watching this movie. Thank you, Kim. That was fantastic. Let's have a rebuttal from Jari and Leslie now.
0: Well, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I mean, uh, I had some arguments uh, written down. Um, I still do believe that it is a love story, but I mean, this worldview education discussion is a really powerful, powerful way to to frame this. I, I I think for this one, although... It doesn't have all of the conventions of a love story. It is clearly the central part of the story that it is the love between Harold and Maude. It may be that it's more of a subplot, but it is front and center. So for me, the innovation in it is how the characters interact with each other and how they are pushing against society, the status quo, and the norms for Harold, he is he has found love. He now knows what love is, and he knows that having love in his heart is going to set him free. But he always has Maud's love with him. So that is what love stories try to do for us. The way their love develops and blossoms and all of the hindrances to that love, I have a hard time believing it's not a love story. But yeah, I, I mean, I do see the point of the worldview education. In love stories, there is always a strong internal genre component. Clearly, Harold changes. You guys changed my mind on that, and and I appreciate the analysis of it because it's really important that when you, when you walk into something, and again, we all do this, hey, I think it's one thing, and then someone says, no, it's another thing, and then we debate it, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's the ultimate in proper discourse on Trying to get better. Hard for me to rebut on the, um, the worldview education argument. Um, but I, I still think it's a great love story and innovative. And if you're going to write a love story, I would (laughs) definitely take a look at this and, you know, take what you will from it. But, uh, that's what this is all about.
2: Well, I am really on the fence here. I don't like to be wishy-washy, but both teams have made a really good case. Uh, for me, it's not not a love story. It, clearly, there is a lot of love story here. So is it innovative or is Harold and Maude simply not a global love story at all? What do you think? Has the A-team made their case or are there points to the adversary team? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Let us know on Twitter at StoryGridRT or in comments on the show notes. So to wind up the episode, we take questions from our listeners. And this week's question came to us from Mike Scanlon on Twitter. And he says, in Gone Girl, he's referencing our Gone Girl episode from season two, three different characters are identified as hero, three as victim, and two plus the concept of media and talk shows or reality TV as the villain. We identified these character roles. He says it's surprising that a successful story is so muddled in defining those roles. Would it be better to use what he calls the wrong man genre? What's innovative is that in Gone Girl, we have an unlikable wrong man. So it might clarify that he's thinking of stories like The Fugitive, No Way Out, and the Hitchcock original movie, The Wrong Man, in which the wrong man is fingered for a murder. So I'll give a shot at answering this. For The very first thing I want to say is that roles and characters are not the same thing. It's very common in many stories for the role of hero, victim, or villain to be handed from one character to another. That is not at all uncommon, and you don't want to confuse those things, the role and the character. We didn't all agree that Gone Girl quite worked, and that was partly because the roles were a little bit muddled. And yes... It is a successful story, it was a successful book and a successful movie because it met most of the conventions pretty well. And I would just add also that wrong man isn't a genre per se, but maybe um, is a trope or a plot device. And yes, it it would be innovative, I agree, to have the wrong man in that trope be an unlikable or reprehensible character, which I think you make a good point, Mike, that the Ben Affleck character, I can't remember his name now, played in Gone Girl. If you have a question about the love story structure or any other story principle, you can ask it on Twitter at StoryGridRT, or better still, go to storygrid.com slash resources, click on Editor Roundtable Podcast, and leave us a voice message, because we would love to feature your question in your voice on the podcast. So that wraps it up for this week. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Jari, Kim, Leslie, and Valerie for excellent editorial insights into Harold and Maude. We hope our discussion helps you innovate your love story or worldview story. Join us next time to find out whether Valerie can make the case that waking Ned Divine is a great example of progressive complications and the power of 10. Why not give it a look during the week and follow along with us? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.